Hello, this is Philip Norville Joe Carroll, author and narrator of the Pariah Podcast. This is episode four, Changing Relationships. Kia watched from the corner of his eye. Morden seemed unaffected by his jab and only scowled at his bowl, wiping it with the hem of his sleeve. Fiera introduced the two new boys who took to Keo quickly when they could see he was cut closer to their own weave of material than to Morden's. Soon, all at the table but Morden were laughing as they each shared antics and adventures from their homes. Ardle, the taller of the two new boys, said to Keo, Morden says you think you're going to be a creature handler. There was challenge in the boy's voice, though an edge of wistfulness said he wished he would too. No one can know for sure who has the skill, Keo said. Creature handlers stay in that service for life, so most of them don't marry and have children. No one can say if it runs in a family or not, though some cousins, who are both thirds, have been known to enter the corps. Give up, Ardle, the other boy, Thanduril, said. The chances of you becoming a handler are way against you. Just get ready to carry a pike, and whatever happens, you'll be ready, or surprised. Fiera slapped the table. Let him dream, Thanderell. His chances are as good as anyone's. Dreaming is the only thing that keeps me from going mad on the endless hours of bouncing around on the hard benches of that wagon. What do you dream, Fiera? Theta asked, sounding as if she already knew. Shush, Fiera said, her face going dark and as red as her beautiful lips. Keo stood and said, Excuse me. But this Swamp Hills boy was impressed by the forges this village is famous for. I've done a bit of smithing, and I'd like to get a look at how they do it here, before they close up for the night. Ardle's eyes lit up. Yeah, I'll go with you. Fiera pursed her lips when the other boy spoke, but put her hand to Keo's arm before he stepped away. I don't know anything about smithing, but would you mind if I came along? No. I wouldn't mind, Keo said, his mouth suddenly dry and his heart pounding a little faster. I'd be pleased. Keo had spent three of his nights in village inns since leaving his home. He spent as much time as he could afford, watching how people in the tavern behaved. He had seen both cultured and uncultured, the sober and the drunk, the gentlemen and the scoundrels. He knew which his mother would approve of and whom he'd like to emulate. Confident that he was destined to be a creature handler, the elite of the king's services, he knew he should set his standards high. Keo didn't believe the elite corps would be publicly drunk, laugh loudly, or hang all over women, fondling and pinching them for all the world to see. He had appearances and standards to keep. As the three young people reached the door, Fiera's hand still on his arm, Keo led them out onto the street. She raised her eyebrows with a smile, hooked her arm up through his, and said, "'Thank you, sir.' A truly refined woman would have placed her hand on his elbow. Her arm in his was probably appropriate for people their age, familiar and friendly, but not overly comfortable. The sun had set, but only just, and the sky was still devoid of stars. The smiths wouldn't be working much longer, so Keo and his friends hurried back down the road, toward the village gates, and crossed the cobbled street." Customers and artisans flowed in and out of the smith's yard through one main walkway. A burly giant of a man stood at the opening, shirtless in the chilly early evening, examining all who entered and exited. Keo walked directly up to the man and said, 
"'Excuse me, sir. My friends and I are from the country, and on our way for the king's service. I've had some experience with the smith's craft.' "'Don't bother me, boy,' the man said, never taking his eyes from the swirling stream of people. "'Thank you,' Keo said, and led Fiera and Ardle through the entrance. "'Hey, boy, where do you think you're going?' the guard asked. Keo stopped and turned back to the man, smiling, and said, "'I'm going to not bother you. My friends and I only want a quick look around at your impressive and famous forge. Coming from the country, we would hate to miss this opportunity to admire it. Can you direct me to the owner or his foreman, so that I may introduce us and beg his patience?' "'I am both,' the man said. "'Your words betray your plain appearance. Tell me the truth.' Why do you wish to survey my establishment? I've told you the truth, my lord. I only wish to admire your works and possibly take from our experience some small added knowledge of the smithing craft that may become handy in my future service to the king. Fine talk for a young spy, the smith owner said with a grunt. He rubbed his nose. Walk about if you wish, but don't interfere with my smiths and take nothing other than inspiration. I will see it in your eyes if you've taken more. And know this, my young lord, I will ask after you at the inn this evening, and if I find you are not who you claim, I will use your skin to repair my bellows and your head for an anvil. We close at the sixes. You have little more than a half an hour. I value my skin and your time equally, Keo said. Thank you for your patience. Keo led the two forward. Does everyone in Swamp Hills talk like you? Fiera asked. No, and I only lived near the Swamp Hills. I grew up on a ranch, and my mother insisted I learn what she thought the wealthy families learn, so I read a lot. He could have told her he was the ninth child and destined to be a creature handler, and his mother felt he should be prepared to lead people and soldiers. But to share any of that would have been to share too much. Fiera asked no more questions at the forge, but she held Keo's arm close to her and rested her head on his shoulder when he or Ardle questioned any of the smiths. The smiths, in contrast to their foreman owner, were happy to talk about their work and their manner of fabrication. Back at the inn, the three joined the others who remained at the table in the inn's tavern. Morden was absent, but the rest of the group sipped hot spiced cider, Shortly after they had joined the table, the foreman from the forge entered the tavern, bending through the door. He surveyed the common room until his eyes fell on the youths at the table. He nodded without changing his expression and turned to leave. The tavern mistress intercepted him before he could reach the door, and with a slender arm to his chest and an alluring smile on her lips, she spoke to him. They exchanged a few words, looked at the youths at the table, and left. He turned again when the mistress threw a hand towel at him. The smith turned back to the mistress, with an out-of-place smile cracking his stony face, and followed the tavern-keeper into the kitchens behind the bar. At four hours before midnight, Keo excused himself and wished the others good night. Before he reached the stairs to the upper floors, someone suddenly took hold of his arm. Pleased, he turned to Fiera. "'Would you escort me to my room?' she asked. "'Of course,' he said. They climbed the stairs, arm in arm, to the second floor and ambled across the squeaking floorboards of the passage. As they reached the third door on the right, Fiera paused and said, "'This is our room. They have all three of us in one bed.' "'That sounds cozy,' Keo said. 
taking both of her hands in his and raised them to his chest. She worked her hands free and placed them palm down against his chest, smoothed his tunic out towards his shoulders, and leaned her chest to his. Her nose was at the level of his chin until she tipped her head back, her eyes closed and her lips barely parted. He pressed his lips to hers and heard the creak of the floorboards at the top of the stairs just feet away. Oh, we're so sorry to interrupt. We need to get to bed. Long day tomorrow, you know. Don't let us bother you. Keo didn't know if it was Theta or Borica who spoke, or if it was both of them together. It didn't matter. He squeezed Fiera's shoulders and said, Good night. I'll look for you tomorrow night. Ride with us, Fiera begged. You would enliven the lot of us. It is so dull, hour after hour. Sorry, Fiera. I have reasons for what I do. I'll be at the inn before or after you, but I'll look for you. He passed the other girls on his way to the stairs. As he ascended to the next floor and his own room, he heard Theta say, in an assumed falsetto, I never realized how dull and enlivening we are to you, hour after hour. Unlivening isn't a word, Theta, Fiera countered. How do you know that? Their voices faded away as he reached the upper floor. From a nook in the wall outside his room, he took a candle and lit it before easing open the door. The room had a single bed, as the girl's room had, and sprawled across the bed was Morden, affecting a heavy snore. Keo took his bundle from the floor and left the room, descending the stairs to seek out a more private sleeping spot in the stables. Waking in the morning, again, to the sound of milking cows, Keo decided this was far better than sleeping with a stranger in a too-small bed in a windowless room. He'd had the hay to himself, besides a few mice, and comforting animal sounds to lull him to sleep. In a dark room, he may well oversleep and start his day too late. This evening, he wouldn't even ask for a bed in the inn. A sudden thump and splash of milk preceded a curse from a voice which sounded vaguely familiar. "'Damn you, rotting cow! That bucket was almost full!' Keo quickly pulled on his boots and walked up behind the serving woman from the night before as she righted the spilled bucket and cursed the fidgeting cow again. "'Can I help?' Keo asked. The woman jumped from her milking stool and spun as the cow mooed and fidgeted. "'By all the gods, boy!' You scared the rotting guts right out of me, she growled, holding her hands before her as if she was only just restraining herself from wrapping her fingers around his neck. What kind of madman are you to sneak up on a woman trying to do her chores? Keo flashed a weak but ingratiating smile and walked to the cow's head. He stroked her ears and whispered, There's a good girl. You're a good cow, aren't you? The cow visibly calmed and returned to the hay in the bin before it. I heard the cow kick the milk bucket, Keo said, stroking the cow's neck. I've milked my share of cows and thought I could help. I didn't mean to startle you. What are you doing out here? she asked, returning to her bucket and the cow's teats. My room was too crowded, so I came out here. Besides, I find the company better out here than what was in my room. My cow seems to like you, she said. I'm amazed. When she gets riled up, there's usually no calming her down again. Some people have said I have a way with animals, Keo said. My name is Keo. May I call you by yours? She laughed. 
I'm Doline, and you may call me by it, she said, pulling on the teats with a steady rhythm. Is it your way with animals that makes you so cocky? Do you think it gives you away with people as well? Cocky? Keo did his best to sound offended. I like to think of it as confident. It takes age and experience to build confidence, and you are but fifteen, if you're headed for the king's service. What have you done that's so great that you have the confidence of your elders and your betters? I've spoken to and flown on the back of a tiger hawk, and not even been through the training, he thought, but wouldn't speak it out loud. Nothing so great, yet, he deprecated. But when I was little, just five years old, someone who was important to me, and important in the world, told me I was destined to do great things. So, when I run into a challenge, or someone says something to me to make me feel small, I just remind myself, I'm destined to do great things. Who was this important person? Dolene asked, with teasing in her voice but intent in her eyes. I can't tell you. I promised her I would tell no one that I know her. If you can't tell me this woman's name, then I won't believe you. Keo laughed and patted the cow's head a final time. Believe me or don't, it has no effect on what will be. Do you have more cows to milk, or can I carry this bucket to the inn for you? I can carry my own bucket, boy. Keel, she said and stood. Thank you for calming my rotting cow. You do have a way with animals, and people too. She picked up her bucket and slipped aside the board, releasing the cow from the feeding bin. As if nothing had happened, the cow wandered from the barn to the corral outside. Have a fair journey, Keel, and the god's luck with the important things you have ahead of you. Keel watched her walk from the barn, a full milk bucket in one hand, a lantern in the other, and wished he was older. That day passed much as the day before had, though Keo never once looked back to see if the wagon approached. Enjoying the gentle downward slope of the highway, he spent nearly as much time running as he did walking. Deline's account of him helping her in the barn preceded him, and he found the cooking staff attentive to his needs and loaded him with bread, cheese, and even some sweet pastries for breakfast and some for later on the road. He ate lightly while he traveled, keeping his stomach filled just enough to give him strength, but not to weigh him down or give him cramps. The long sloping hills gave way to flatter plains, with short new grass carpeting the ground beneath what remained of the previous year's yellow-gray stubble. To the south, the mottled shadow of the southern hardwoods crept closer. From his geography studies, he knew he would draw closer to the forest every day, until it met the southern highway, just a few days out from the capital. Keel waited again that evening, in the inn's tavern, at a table for those traveling to the king's service. He waited to eat until the others arrived. Fiera made straight for him and sat right next to him before introducing two new boys and one girl picked up at small villages he had passed. Morden came to the table last and stood at the bench across from where Keo sat and waited until the boy occupying that space felt uncomfortable enough to get up and move to another open spot at the opposite end of the bench. Morden sat in the freshly vacant spot. Keo felt Fiera's grip tighten on his arm as Morden set down his food and looked up at Keo. "'You didn't sleep in your room last night,' Morden said." letting the statement hang in the air, turning it into a question. No, Keo said. 
The room was much smaller and more crowded than I'm used to. Morden held his eyes on Fiera as he spoke. I thought you liked company while you slept. Keo noted he was not the intended recipient of the comment and said, I don't know why you'd have any thoughts about what I like or do not like. The only company I had was in the barn, and we chose to leave one another alone. You prefer the company of cows and pigs to the company of Fiera? Morton asked with a derisive laugh. I prefer the company of pigs to the company I was offered last night, Keo said. He inhaled a long breath, looking down at the table before he continued. Is there anything you're getting at, Morden, or are you just trying to make me angry? I don't mean to offend, only to take the measure of my traveling companions, he said, with an eyebrow raised at Fiera. I don't believe I've traveled with you, yet, and don't intend to, so unless you have something polite to say, consider your measurements complete, Keo said, and reached for his bread. He tore off a piece. I am destined for great things, not to fight with minor nobles to pad their pitiful pride, he reminded himself. Keo dipped the bread into the thick gravy of his supper and brought it to his mouth. He froze, the morsel not quite to his lips, and looked around. No one at the table moved. All but Morden stared at him. The designate's nephew frowned at his food. Keo put the bite in his mouth and said, And besides, pigs, sheep, and goats don't snore. Some around the table suppressed laughter, while others, like Thanderell, seemed to consider Morden with furrowed brows and pursed lips. "'You really should try the food. It's better than most of what I've had along the road,' he announced to the table and dug in, keeping his head down and ignoring the others. From the corner of his eye, he saw Fiera start to eat, and then others. By the time he finished his food and looked up, the table had returned to normal chatting about the day, complaining of fleas in the bedding and worrying of another full day of boredom on the highway.' Kia leaned back against the wall of the tavern and listened to talk around the table. Thanderell pulled out a tin whistle from inside his tunic and quietly played ballads while the new girl sang the words. A clock somewhere out in the village rang four before midnight, and Fiera stood even as he did. Morden had already left the table. "'Good night, everyone. Good journey tomorrow. I hope to see you again tomorrow evening.' "'Good night, Fiera,' Keo said." "'stepping away from the table. "'She followed along step for step and said, "'I thought I could tuck you into bed. "'I don't know if I have a bed. "'I haven't spoken with the mistress yet,' Keo said as they walked toward the bar. "'I know there's a barn, and they must have hay to feed the cows and horses. "'Were you thinking of sleeping somewhere else?' she asked. "'No, but I should at least let the mistress know. "'It occurred to me this morning that I could have awoken to a pitchfork in my side.' That would ruin my day. The inn's mistress appeared from a back room behind the bar, a half-dozen wooden mugs in her cradled arms. "'What can I do for you, young master?' she asked. "'May I sleep in your barn? Are my rooms so poor that you must turn to the dust and straw of the barn?' "'No, ma'am. I rise early and don't want to disturb any of the weary travelers wishing to sleep. I promise I'll be no bother and leave before the morning sixes. "'So early, then. Well, if you must, there is plenty of good straw in the loft, but leave your candle on the milker's post. I wouldn't have my livelihood go up in a fire. Thank you, ma'am. I don't need light to sleep.' He turned toward the door with Fiera still clinging to his arm. "'And, young man,' he heard the mistress call, 
I expect only one to sleep in the hay. I have no funny play beneath the roofs of my inn, nor my barn, especially for those off to join the king's service. Fiera blushed. Of course not. Keo did his best to sound offended. My friend and I were only going to spend a few minutes enjoying the stars. But now that you've put the idea in my head, there is added warmth having an extra body in the hay. Ooh, my boy, I'm warning you, she said, setting the mugs down. I'm warned, Keo laughed, and good night, mistress. He picked up his bundle from a pile of gear beside the door and escorted Fiera out. What if she catches me in the hay with you? Fiera asked. The thought stopped Keo's breath. What if? He wondered and laughed lightly, hoping she was joking. The day had been warm as spring blew in on the light breeze, sweeping winter away. Night, however, was a vivid memory of what winter had offered. Fiera cuddled closer to him, and Keo wrapped his cloak around both of them as they strolled to the barn door. Why was everyone staring at me at dinner tonight? Keo asked. The way you were acting around Morden. It's a shock to see someone who isn't bowing to him and agreeing with everything he says. Even our driver doesn't argue with him. If Morden says stop, the driver stops. The rest of us could dance a jig on the old man's hat, and he wouldn't so much as turn our direction. But what Morden says happens. He was baiting me, trying to make me angry. He even implied that we had slept together, Keo said. Can we? Fiera asked. Keo choked. I just told the mistress I'd sleep alone. I gave her my word. She wouldn't know. I could go back in, climb the stairs to my room, and then come down the back stairs to the servants' courtyard and sneak around to the barn. I could hide in the hay if anyone came in. I can be very quiet when I want to. It would work, Keo was sure. The mistress didn't really care if they were in the straw together, only that people knew she had prohibited it. And if she truly didn't know, what would be the harm? Fiera turned toward him inside the cloak. She wrapped her arms around him and pressed her body against his. She was warm and inviting. His body came alive like it had never been before, and fiery chills ran up and down his legs and back. It would be so easy to have her lying next to him, so thrilling. She turned her face up to him, as she had the night before, her hands stroking his back. Fiera grabbed his shoulders and pulled him down to meet her mouth. Keo was ready to take charge, and did. He kissed her hard. He tasted the fire on her tongue and felt her rapid puffs of breath through her nose against his cheek. She struggled against him, as if their two bodies could possibly occupy the same space. She pulled away, breathing heavily, and looked around the courtyard at the indoors. Quick, she said, you go into the barn, and I'll hurry up to my room and then go down the back steps. I won't be five minutes, and I'll tap on the barn door three times, twice. Fiera slipped from beneath his cloak. Wait, Fiera, Keo said. The weight of the whole night pressed down on him. Don't come back. You can't. I promised I would sleep alone, and that's the right thing. What? Fiera asked, whirling around and staring, disbelief in her eyes, shining like the light from the tavern windows glowing behind her. She put a hand to her head. You don't want me with you? she asked, as if forming the words hurt her head. What have we been working toward these last few days? Was it nothing? Am I nothing? A trifle for you to play with and cast aside when you're bored? Fiera, I'm not casting you aside, and I'm certainly not bored. 
We're on our way to join the king's service. In a month's time, we could be on separate sides of the country with responsibilities and commitments to others. I can't start a relationship to have it end so soon. And if something accidentally started... Weak lantern light painted a line across the ground where it slipped through a crack in the barn door. She turned back on him. He didn't need to see her face. He could hear the bitterness in her voice. Relationships? she asked. They aren't made to last. They're fleeting, and some are good, but most are bad. And when you have a chance to make the relationship yourself and not have it forced upon you by circumstance or design, then you should take that relationship and ride it for as long as it rolls downhill until you hit a bump in the road or lose a wheel and you both fall tumbling to the ground, bruised or broken, or you find yourself alone in bed. Fiera turned away. Relationship. You don't even know what that is. Keo climbed the ladder to the loft and spread his blanket out on the hay, pulled off his boots and wrapped himself in his cloak. Insulated by his cloak, in the warmth of the hay, his heart felt as cold as winter. Maybe he didn't know what a relationship was, but he didn't think it was what Fiera expected either. The following day, Keo arrived at the wagon's next stop even earlier in the day than he had before. He sat at a table in the common room, waiting, when the wagon with the king's servants arrived. The others wove their way between tables, chairs, and patrons to sit around the table Keo had staked out. Some said hello, but others ignored him completely. This didn't bother Keo or even seem out of the ordinary. What was strange was that Fiera was not first to prance into the room. Where's Fiera? Keo asked. As if you don't know, Borica said and turned back to her food. Actually, I don't know. Why don't you tell me and I'll see what I do know, Keo said, feeling his anger rise in response to her implied accusation. All eyes turned to him. Well, tell me. Borica rolled her eyes and spoke as if she was asked to describe dirt to a miner. She couldn't come with us today because she was too dizzy to even get out of bed. She showed us the bruise on her face where you slapped her and the lump on her head where she fell against the stone wall of the barn. All that, and after using her terribly. It was fortunate for you that you had left so early, before it was made known to the tavern mistress. She was incensed and cursed your name for a scoundrel. If you had been there, she would have skinned you alive and served you for breakfast. Those were her words exactly. Serve you for breakfast. Keo sat back and dropped his loaf of bread onto the table. He'd lost his appetite. Believe what you want, Borica. She's lying, because I wouldn't use her terribly. Did she make a report to the village council? No. She said she couldn't. She believed you had taken advantage of her. But she'd lost her memory of the actual events when you hit her and pushed her against the wall. Besides, she could barely walk from dizziness. Sure, that's convenient. Did she say she fell against the stone wall or that I pushed her? Sounds like the only thing she couldn't remember was her own story. Or is it you who's making up the details? I won't stand for any more of your trickery. I'm going to my room. No one said anything until Borica was out of the common room. Keo slumped further down in his seat and sighed. He picked at his dirty fingernails. Conversation slowly began again around him and picked up speed and volume. Soon the wagon crowd seemed to be back to their normal selves. Keo, 
Theta said, sliding to a vacant spot next to him. He looked up, preparing a cynical comment in his mind, but her expression was more understanding than Boricus had been. Understanding or not, Keo was still put off. He sat up a little and asked, What? Borica and I shared a bed with Fiera. She was asleep, but I was still awake when Fiera came into the room. Fiera wasn't dizzy then, and she stomped around the room for some time, muttering before squeezing in between us. This morning, Fiera told us her story from beneath the blanket. Neither of us saw her face. Bori has set herself the task of convincing everyone what Fiera said was true. However, I didn't see her face, and I don't believe her. Thanks, Theta. I appreciate your information. She was angry last night because I turned her down, and she must have wanted to get back at me. You turned her down? Why? She frowned, slipping the tip of her tongue out to cover her upper lip. Do you like boys instead? No, I like girls a lot but I'd promised the inn's mistress I wouldn't take anyone to bed with me. I imagine that's why she was so upset, because she thought I abused her confidence. Morden walked up to the table and stared at Theta without a word. It was only then that Keo realized the haughty boy hadn't been in the common room up until that point. He stared at Theta long enough that she finally became uncomfortable and stood. I'll talk to you later, she said as she picked up her bowl and moved to a girl Keo hadn't seen before. "'What time do you get up in the morning?' Morden asked, still standing. "'I don't know. After they milk the cows. That's usually what wakes me. I think that would be in the fourth hour after midnight. I'm always gone by the morning sixes. Why?' "'I'm coming with you. Make sure you wake me in enough time to get ready.' Anger boiled in Keo's stomach, and he felt like his head might pop. He wasn't Morden's servant. He was his own person, and, until he was officially in the king's service, no one had the right to tell him what to do. Reining in his fury, Keo said, No, you're not. I travel alone. I like my solitude. Thank you for listening to the Pariah Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more, stop by my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Joe and see how you can help me produce these episodes and earn some bonuses for yourself at the same time. If you could help me out by going to iTunes and leaving a review, I'd love you for the rest of my life. Any kind of feedback to an author producer is more sustaining than food and water. If you'd like to know what else I've written or am writing, stop by my website at NorvalJoe.com or like my Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Philip Carroll Author. Philip with one L, Carroll with two R's and two L's. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.